The New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 33. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man, handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it is impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, all, of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Hi, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Maddie, and I'm the intern here this summer. If I haven't gotten to meet you, I would still love to do so. 
Um, would you please pray for me? Pray, not for, well, yeah, that too, but pray with me as we go into this next part of the service. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the ways that you speak to us in this space. Through music, prayer, liturgy, children's voices, silence, through water and bread, and through your word. Now, would you bless this time of sharing and listening? May these meditations bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. You know and are present to each person here. So please provide in the ways that are most needed. In your name, amen. So there's so much richness here in this passage that we've just read. It's often referred to um, as Peter's first sermon to the early church. And because there's so much richness, I won't be able to touch on every little detail, but I do wanna weave us through a few different movements from Peter's sermon that I noticed as I was studying this throughout the week. The first movement is that Peter wants us to make sure that we're not mistaken about what's happening here. We too quickly laugh off the first thing that Peter addresses in the first sermon to the early church. Do you remember where our story ended last week? A violent wind races through the people of God and tongues of fire rest on their heads. God's spirit has come to live with God's people. We read, all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. In other words, the crowds, upon seeing God's people filled with God's presence, think that God's people have just lost it a little bit. They, they're drunk. They're out of it. They're making stuff up. So when Peter stands up, the first thing he says to the people is, listen, indeed these are not drunk as you suppose. And we laugh as he says, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. I think we need to pay attention to how one of the first reactions to God's presence coming upon God's people is this trying to explain it away, trying to create distance between the people and God's presence, this moment that has just happened. They've just witnessed a beautifully chaotic scene of love. And I think it's unsurprising. I think a lot of times our first reaction to undeserved love, to a passionate act of care, is to create distance. Maybe it's a friend asking you how you're really doing. Maybe it's a parent offering to take care of something for you. Maybe it's someone expressing they have feelings for you. Maybe it's a stranger or someone you know really well trying to give you a gift. Or maybe it's even receiving an apology that you didn't expect, or having someone forgive you when you weren't sure you really deserved that. I bet each one of you 
in some way or another has experienced this fear of love, of this need to put distance between yourself and an act of love, an act of intimacy. We feel this need to shield ourselves from the kind of love that draws us into risk and into vulnerability. So let's remember what has just happened, this Pentecost moment, God's presence coming to God's people. So why are the crowds thrown off? Why do they want to create distance? Why do they say that God's people are drunk? I think one reason could be this. The same word used for God's spirit coming upon God's people at the beginning of Acts is the same word used for God's, um, for the spirit coming upon Mary when she became pregnant with Christ. The same spirit that came upon Mary to create life inside of her womb, one of the most intimate Acts is the same spirit that comes upon God's people to create life in them, to put life inside of them that breathes out onto the lives of those around them. This spirit comes with fire, with passion, with a fierce wind, and with burning flames. This is a love and a presence and a nearness that is completely all-consuming. This is the spirit that touches flesh, that makes a home in the world and in us. Willie James Jennings calls this the revolution of the intimate. So perhaps the crowds around the disciples felt a sense of embarrassment, maybe even some shame before this act of praise, of intimacy, this act of wonder and mystery. Jennings also writes, the most terrifying aspect of interruption is love. The people were doing their best to make sense of this intense sensory act of love by explaining it away. It's fair to think that those who follow Jesus are a little crazy or a little off, because following Jesus means believing in a God who makes God's self vulnerable to those God loves. It means believing in a God who, as Peter preaches, allows God's self to be handed over to us to make known to us the ways of life. The spirit that breathed over the surface of the waters at creation is the same spirit that breathed life into the lungs of humankind and is the same spirit that was blowing in a mighty way on the day of Pentecost and continues to breathe new life through us today. When we hear about the wind that swept over the face of the waters in Genesis, in Hebrew, this word for um, sweeping over the face of the waters can also mean God brooding over the face of the waters. When we use the word brooding, we often think of how a hen, a mother hen, is keeping her babies warm. So when the spirit over creation, when the spirit creates, it's really God mothering over the world, God nurturing, breathing into, and sustaining. Like Mary, holding her stomach, experiencing the closest intimacy with Christ, the spirit makes its home in us to create life.
The second movement that I notice in Peter's sermon is when Peter awakens the people's imaginations by speaking the words of the prophets. Peter turns to the story of the people of Israel through the prophet Joel and their former king David. These are names they would have known to remind the people of where they have come from, what they have been told, what they're waiting for and hoping for so that they might better understand this Pentecost moment. What you have to understand is that the Jewish people at this time didn't have the gospels written down. They didn't have uh, Paul's letters written down to turn to. What they knew at this time were the memories and stories that they had of Jesus Christ, and they had studied the scriptures. They had studied what we would call the Old Testament, They had the prophecies, the stories, the genealogies, the poetry. And this whole, this story, the Old Testament, spoke of a promise to God's people, one that they would have had memorized, they would have known by heart. They would have prayed through and lamented alongside. And this promise was that God was going to bless God's people and he was going to make all things new. So now Peter is saying that this Pentecost moment is the fulfillment of the prophecies that the Israelites knew by heart. A fulfillment of the promises that they had clung to since the ancient beginnings of their people when God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The prophet Joel spoke of a time when something new was going to happen. And the people wouldn't be able to miss it. Joel prophesied, you shall praise the name of of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. In that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine. The hills shall flow with milk and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. There would be signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, as Peter said. The people known as wrestles with creator, that's how the First Nations translation describes the people of Israel, giving them this name wrestles with creator. These same people of desert wandering, of exile, of hunger and thirst would know when this newness was breaking forth because they would be drenched and soaked and saturated in it. Our text today says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And the First Nations translation says, my spirit will rain down on all who serve me. I taught a class uh, this past semester on the prophets at my internship church um, in my hometown. And we spent a lot of our class periods just marveling over the way that a lot of the prophets use the image of water to speak of newness, to speak of refreshing, to speak of what is to come in Israel's hope. Ezekiel, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, writes in his prophecy about about what it will be like someday in the end times when God's presence is with God's people. Hear this. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. 
There, water was flowing from below the threshold of the temple. This water flows, and when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the water will become fresh. Everything will live where the river goes. On the banks and on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. The water from them flows from the sanctuary. Water is a symbol of God's reign, God's presence and life-giving power. Water brings justice. Water brings fruit. Water brings newness. So what I'm trying to show you here is that the spirit, like water, like rain, we're told is poured on the disciples and God's people. Peter says, essentially, you know those prophecies that you know by heart? Well, that's happening right now. That which you both see and hear. So we are in the time of the gifts of the Spirit. We are in the time of, as Peter said, dreaming dreams and having visions. Women and men, young and old. I'm not saying that you better be having profound dreams or seeing visions, but what I am saying is that God is creating in you. What Peter is saying is that this is the time where the spirit is alive in you, is working in you, and is creatively working all things for good in and through you. The work that the Spirit began then is the same work that is happening, that is being poured out through you now. It's fitting then that Peter turns now to a, f- a familiar voice, a voice that speaks of experiences of suffering, who knows the darkest night of the soul. This voice is David. Peter quotes David from Psalm 16 in our passage today. The same David who writes in other psalms, I am utterly spent and crushed, and my heart throbs and my strength fails me, is also the David quoted here today from Psalm 16. Here, David prophesies about the Messiah when he writes, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. Even in the pit, David knows that death is not the final answer. There is a holy one who will, not, who will not let him experience corruption. David catches wind that there is a great hope in this story, even in this place of pain. So I wonder who of you feels like you're in the pit in some way this morning or in this season of life. Feels like the pit is closing in around you You feel hopeless, maybe consumed by darkness. There are a lot of uncertainties. Or maybe there are some of you who feel like the pit can't touch you. You're strong enough to stay out of it. And you're working really hard to keep those around you from falling in it as well. Whatever camp you find yourself in, the hope here is that Jesus Christ faced the darkest night of the soul faced the pit, and God did not abandon him. So God does not abandon us. When it feels like God's work is dead, know that God is on the move. 
God is here in this place with you, in you, closer than you can imagine. Sometimes I think about how amazing it is that um, God alone is the only one who sees us and hears us and knows us every moment of our day. God sees each tear, hears each internal cry or praise, and knows each desire that presses upon us. God is the only one who knows everything that you've thought about this morning, and maybe that can be kind of scary for some of us, but I think that's actually pretty comforting. Because when you feel most alone, you are not alone. That's what this Pentecost moment is all about. So what Joel predicted and what David felt in his heart has come true. God is with you, and you are experiencing that now. The final movement that I want to draw upon from Peter's sermon is where Peter invites us to change our lives. So shortly after Peter finishes his sermon, in a part of Acts that we didn't get to today, it happens shortly after where we finished, we read that the people in the crowd who heard Peter's sermon were cut to the heart by what he had to say. Intimate love and fulfilled prophecies, who wouldn't be cut to the heart? The people's first question is, so what should we do? So God's presence is among us, but what happens next? Peter responds directly and simply, change your thinking. In our English translations, Peter's response is often translated as repent. But sometimes that word can hold hard maybe shameful connotations for those of us inside and outside of the church. So I think it's helpful to go back to the Greek of the, what the word repent comes from. The Greek word is metanoia, which actually means to turn back, to change, or to think differently. So Peter continues, change your thinking. And be baptized, every one of you, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Change your way of thinking. There is a new way of thinking, and it's that you are not alone. You are not on your own. 3,000 people were added to the number of God's people the day that Peter preached this sermon. This is the spirit creating life. This, this new way of thinking is believing that you are the home of the Holy Spirit and that the spirit who breathed out over the waters at creation is also breathing out through you. So risk stepping towards God. As we step out into the rest of the book of Acts, we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is the main character here creating new life through God's people, through those who embody the Spirit. We seek to become familiar with the voice of the Spirit. We read scripture, we pray. In our own experiences with God, we learn what God's voice sounds like. 
In scripture, we learn that God speaks through a number of things. God speaks through fire, whispers, animals, bushes, winds, dreams, visions, and other people. The possibilities go on. And I wonder for you, if there were any moments this week where you wondered if God was speaking to you. Maybe God asked something of you. You weren't sure though, and does God really speak like that anymore? I want you to revisit that for a moment and just hold it before the Lord. Because the spirit who lives in us speaks in all sorts of ways. Sometimes God speaks in tears, in emotions that we try to explain away by tiredness or hormones. Sometimes the spirit speaks in limits, when doors close and there's really only one path forward or through. Sometimes the spirit speaks in chance run-ins and unexpected encounters. And sometimes the spirit speaks in groaning and grieving. As the church takes up the work of lament, the groaning, the grieving that God has placed in us is prophetic. In our groaning, we step into the gaps as priests and prophets of the church between what has yet to be made new and what we're hoping for. So we return to the image we began with, with a mother creating life. Paul writes in Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for redemption and hope. The Spirit in us is a spirit of longing. And you are loved by the spirit that longs to get through to you so badly that it doesn't just speak one language. One of my really close friends grew up in a household that speaks Spanish. Um, she said to me, even though I don't speak Spanish fluently, my ears always perk up when I hear it because it means I'm in a space that my dad and family would feel at home. God asks us to change our lives, but we don't do it alone. We do it having received the spirit of intimate love who speaks to us in our own language. And God also speaks to us in our heart language. What makes you tick? What makes you feel alive? God comes to us in that way. Your longings are born out of your own bearing of God's divine image. God has given you a heartbeat for what God's heart beats for. Maybe you hear God in creation, in order, in structure. Maybe you hear God in beauty. This is not to say that God is all about your agenda, but it is to say that all of our longings come out of us reflecting that image of the creator. God comes to us like a mother who creates life inside of her womb, like someone who speaks our language like someone who knows us far more deeply than any other. Even just this week, what might change for you if you lived believing that? If you lived embracing the good news that you are not alone and that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Maybe that would look like initiating a hard conversation. Maybe that would look like admitting to somebody that you're not doing okay. Maybe it's expressing love. Maybe it's daring to ask someone more about this Jesus person that you've heard of but don't really know a whole lot about. Maybe it's taking a brave step forward or even choosing to bravely stay put. The fear of following God into the new is real, but the Spirit will continue to usher us forward, continue to draw us into newness. This is modeled for us in the book of Acts. This is the movement of God, where we will continue to trace the steps of the Holy Spirit this summer. So stay tuned as we explore and watch the ways that God continues to move and work through God's people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.